vintage is keeping step. Keeping step. A little sub-message might be contention and redemption. In Galatians 5, starting in the 16th verse, we start with these words. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law or the penalties of the law. The idea here is as many as are led by the Spirit are the very sons of God. But we have another nature that is at work within us. We have a nature that has been corrupt, corrupted and it is called a sinful nature. Last week I talked to the whole church body about a radical revolution. At the very root of the issue, there needs to be something that is radically changed and your life do a complete turnaround. I'm speaking to both the body of Christ and those who are lost among us. There are two natures that are at work, two spirits, two kingdoms. They're at war in this world. Ephesians 2 teaches us that if you are not subject to the Spirit of God... You are subject to a spirit of disobedience. There is no middle ground. There is nowhere that is just these people are pretty okay. You are either in love with and on fire with God's spirit, or you are subject to the spirit of disobedience. There is no Switzerland or France in this. There's nobody that gets to remain neutral or just surrender. One side or the other, as Bob Dylan said during the few years he was serving Jesus, you're going to have to serve somebody. My goal here today is to talk to you about those two natures, for you to understand exactly what is at stake. I have people show up at my house, I have people in counseling, people that show up in our church, and they don't understand why their lives are not blessed and are not going well. And I could just say, hey, meet the champion in you and push him out the door and it'd be fine, but it doesn't address the sinful root of the problem. Our base nature is hostile to God. And God is hostile towards that base nature. Well, I know we teach God is love. He loves you enough to put to death your sinful nature that you might live to Him. This is our God. There's salvation in one name and one name only, Yeshua, the Messiah. They are in conflict with each other. When we describe conflict, I gave Emmanuel a hug earlier. Emmanuel, I promise not to point him out anymore. I'm sorry, buddy. Emmanuel's a big guy. When I hugged him, can you imagine if he and I were fighting in the center of this church? That is a conflict. It couldn't go without notice. You cannot have conflict inside of you between the Spirit of God and a spirit of disobedience or a sinful nature without it being noticed. To just sit and dress in pretty suits and nice houses and act like there is no conflict is a lie. But most of America just says, I'm okay, you're okay, let's look the other way. In fact, can we make a list of things we can agree on so that there's never any evidence of conflict? I'm telling you, God is calling you to a righteous conflict. He said that nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, light against darkness. That battle has been raging since Genesis 1 when the world was dark, already dark just like you, and He injected His light into it and caused a separation. Our God is able to inject something into you that will cause a separation so that there can be conflict. A righteous, holy war that is raging so that you can become more like Christ. These are the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. 
He was fighting every day of his life, and yet his life was characterized by peace. Kind of. His friends would describe him as peaceful. Those that were of the spirit of disobedience described him as revolutionary, causing riots everywhere he went. So which is it? It was both. It was both. He did damage, just like Jesus. 1 John 3, 8 says, The Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's works. That sounds like conflict, doesn't it? But also everywhere he went, he left people in a right standing with God. You're going to be at war with someone. The question is, is it going to be God or the powers of this world? And you can sit back and cross your arms and say, man, I'm not at war with anybody. I, look, I'd rather just not think about this. God determines the times and places you would live and work. He put boundaries in your life. He brought you in here today because He intends to put you behind the eight ball and make you think about this. Sticking your head in the sand does not mean that there is not conflict around you. It's as silly as the Baptist church saying that the gifts don't exist today. Really? Walk outside the front door of your church and look to the left and right. Those churches that are growing faster than you, that are doing missions work all over the world, they're the ones with the gifts. Wake up. No, they just don't exist. Christianity has put a bag over its head. Today, I intend for there to be no bag over the head. We're going to speak the truth in love. Listen to what is said here. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. The American church is not known for that, is it? Oh, it is? Well, that's just the Catholic folks, right? No. No, I'm pretty sure Protestants are in the news almost every day for that problem as well. Impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Wanting to advance yourself at the expense of others. Wanting to advance yourself regardless of what God's will is. That is almost the American motto. That is almost our business model. Selfish ambition. These are acts of the sinful nature. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. If there were not dissensions in the church, why do churches split every few years? Factions. Factions. There's another word for that. It's denomination. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is not possible to enjoy, to indulge, to grow your sinful nature and make it into God's kingdom. We've designed a kind of Christianity that feels so good. It's greasy. It's slippery. It's sloppy agape. We spend time with each other and ten years goes by and somebody says, Darren, you've known Eric a long time. Is he born again? Well, I don't know. Somebody else says, I know that dude. He's going straight to hell. How dare you judge him? Are you kidding me? Have you ever been at a family reunion and had trouble telling who your brothers and sisters were? I was in a donut shop this morning. I know that surprises you. I wanted to pick up food for Matthew. I looked up and I thought, that's a brother. Right there. He actually reminded me very much of a brother in Dallas that one of our sisters is in love with. I said, that's a brother. I said, friend, do I know you from somewhere? He goes, I, I, I don't think so. I said, no, I'm sure I do. Come on. How could I know you? He goes, well, I am the worship leader at this church right here. Wow. Crossbridge, Bridge, Fellowship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another storefront church right down the road. 
I said, ah, I thought you were, brother. He just kind of smiled, and we went our separate ways. I didn't have any problem recognizing him, even though I had never seen him before. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we so scared to go the other way? Hmm. Oh, we might offend someone. I would rather them be offended and get saved mm. than be very comfortable with our relationship while they go to hell. Yeah. Right. How about you? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We are killing mortal conflict, battle, killing the sinful nature. Somebody said, man, it's the fifth time this year I've fallen to this sin. And I said, wait. How, how does this sin happen again? Mm-hmm. Tell me. Oh, oh. Well, throw your computer in the trash. Jump up and down on it. Run over it with the car. You're at war with the sinful nature. If this is a doorway of the enemy into your life, why do you keep it like a golden idol in your room for access at all times? Yes. Oh, well, that's radical. Yes, the gospel's radical. Yeah. The attitude we're supposed to have is cut an arm off if you have to, because it is better to enter into the kingdom without that arm than it is to go into hell with both of them. Yes. What is it that you need to do, saints? I'm calling for a radical revolution. Amen. But the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So are the acts prompted by the Spirit. One of the things the missionaries were disgusted by where some have memorized verses, and they stand in front of people that are of different stature and a little different color skin, and they quote them to them like a just big verbal vomit. No feeling, no caring, no how are you doing, no getting on the floor with their kids and hugging them, no going in their house, sitting on their couch, their cinder blocks, whatever, feeling what their life is like. Just rote memorization. Maybe this is what's wrong with America. We've learned to say all of the right things, but there is no power in it. That's right. Then there are those that criticize everyone that does not say it quite like them. Friends, I don't care how you say it if demons run from you. I don't care how you say it if you will stand with me and feed the poor when no one else will. I don't care exactly how you enunciate a particular doctrine if the Spirit of God is dripping off you. Those things are the domain of men without the Spirit who simply make themselves look good by their spiritual wordiness. It's a form of godliness, but it has no power. I want the Word. I want a right understanding of God. But that can only come by one way. You have to kill the sinful nature and live to God's Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In step. You need to understand that the word pneumatic, air-driven tools, comes from pneumos in Greek. It has to do with the moving of air. In Hebrew, there's a couple words. One of them is ruach. Ruach is not ruach if it is not moving. When God describes His ruach hakodesh, His Holy Spirit, it is on the move. If air is standing still, you can't describe it as wind. It's only when it begins to move that it is wind. The Holy Spirit showed up as if there was violent, rushing wind. The Holy Spirit is on the move. He is not stagnant. And if you can't move with Him because of your square wheels of your doctrine, your square wheels of your sinful lifestyle, your square wheels of complacency, you cannot please God. Friends, if He told me to stand on my head in Highway 6, I hope to have the courage and the faith to do that. 
instead of consulting the committee in a doctrinal statement and seeing whether or not God would say something like that. You find me a scriptural precedent for hawking a loogie in a man's eye and making an eyeball. But Jesus did it. He will not be contained within your nice, neat framework because He is a raging inferno and He can't be contained. Maybe if we quit trying to tame the Holy Spirit and instead simply became obedient to His glory, His passion, His fire, the American church would see more healing. Some of you sit here and I understand to you that I might as well be speaking Greek. What is all this you're talking about, man? I... Don't we just have to believe on Jesus? Well, you tell me what it means when you believe on Jesus and we'll settle the argument. Well, I was nine years old when I believed on Jesus. Really? What kind of fruit have you borne since then? It is not possible to believe on Jesus and not walk as He walked. And one thing Jesus was, was passionately full of the power of God to the point where He changed the entire society from the dregs of the earth on up to the ivory palaces. What has your belief in Jesus produced? Is it revolutionary? Is it powerful? Are you contending with the enemy? So about this word contending for a minute. There was a program on TV for a while. They didn't have a real boxer, so they found Sylvester Stallone. Isn't that kind of comical? Americans will settle for that. Doesn't matter that the man's never boxed around in his life. He played one on TV. You go choose your medical advisors like that, huh? It doesn't matter that this pastor never did anything really for Jesus in his life. He speaks well and looks well. We'll settle for image over substance. Look at our national elections. God is looking for a Holy Ghost character that throws away image and focuses on substance, the very substance of God. This program, Contender, the word contend means to fight. It was a program about boxers. Webster defines it in three Specific ways. To strive or vie in contest or rivalry against difficulties. If you are going to contend with someone, you must strive or vie against difficulties. The second way it's defined is to debate. <laughs> I know we're Christians. We're not supposed to debate, right? I know about a debate that goes on with Indian. You tell me the truth. Somebody rolls in in a wheelchair right now and you feel that little flutter in your heart. Doesn't the debate begin? In your mind, if not out loud, don't you begin thinking? Maybe Jesus wants to heal that person, but the debate is also raging. I'm encouraging you to let Jesus win the debate. In your reasoning, quit reasoning God out and safely insulating yourself from the need to act in any way. Well, I'm a Christian. Would your own mother know it? Well, I'm a Christian. Really? Let's go grab your favorite five off your telephone. Let's go grab your Facebook friends. Is that how they would describe you? Well, yeah, because we're all Christians. Really? Would you describe them that way? What are you doing friends with those people then? Well, I hope to save them. Good. How long have you been friends? Is it working? Jesus changed the whole world in three years. You've been friends with somebody 20 years and don't know where they stand with Jesus? You know, if funerals were done the right way, people would get saved. When's the last time you went to a funeral and somebody said, I believe this guy missed the kingdom of God, but you don't have to. When's the last time you were at one like that? I know a few of you have been to funerals with me. You've seen that. It's been a long time since I've done a funeral where at least one person didn't get saved. Guys, we're in conflict. 
Turn with me to Genesis 2. I know it surprises you we go there. That spot worn out in your Bible yet, Mandy? We've got a good, good few sermons left to preach in it. In Genesis 2, I want you to see how a human being is formed. I want to talk to you about these two natures and where they come from. The origin of the conflict, if you will. Look at the second chapter in the seventh verse. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Some things to gather from this. That dust of the ground is earth. You were put together by two major components. When God decided to make a beautiful Ashley sitting on the back row, He took dirt from the ground, earth, something earthly, and He breathed something heavenly, His very Spirit, into it. Adam became a life-giving being. He became a living being capable of procreating and creating more life, just like God. We were built to have tension between the earthly and the heavenly and to live in a proper order in that setting. Heaven first, earth second. But you live on the earth. This is why Paul said, set your mind on things above. Set it. Anybody ever set a radio dial? No, we don't do that anymore, right? we got push buttons. <laughs> Take me a while to step into this century, I'm sorry. You ever had to scroll on an iPod dial? There we go. So you're scrolling on your iPod dial, and you have uh, <coughs> apologetics, and you also have Alice Cooper. How close are they on your iPod dial? Maybe one click away, right? Dramatically different spirits, though, right? It can be difficult to tune your heart in. Sometimes. It's just a degree off that needs to change. But if you're a degree off for many years, you end up in a dramatically different place than God intended for you to be. The original man was built with the tension of the heavenly spiritual nature and the physical earthly nature. He was a union, a combination, you might even say an incarnation of both worlds. A living being. The physical earthly nature was corrupted. So that nothing good dwells in the flesh. And Romans 7.18 says, Nothing good dwells in the flesh. And man was changed from a living being into a dying being. When man was created, if this were the first man, right here, all other men would be like him, be alive. But because of the corruption of the earthly nature that leaked right into a corruption of man's very spirit, Everything that man touches dies. Everything that man produces dies. It was not supposed to be so. The first Adam brought us death on a wholesale scale. The problem is so ingrained in humanity that all these thousand years later, it's just grown and magnified. It's grown and grown and grown. But in some 2400 B.C., in Genesis 6, men had multiplied on the earth. 
the tension between the earthly and the heavenly was reaching an all-time high. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. That is a beautiful teaching that I don't have time to give. Let's focus on these next verses. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. It was not supposed to be so. God's Spirit was not supposed to have to contend. What does contend mean? We're going to strive. We're going to struggle. We're going to fight. You remember Peter Hooper's example? Come here, Brandon. Come on. How about This is how God walked with Adam. All right, Adam. Step. 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 They walked in step together. God and Adam walked together in the cool of the day. The Bible says how can two walk together if they don't share the same vision? God and Adam had the same vision. Adam, I want you to subdue the earth. How, God? Step, step, step. And at some point, Adam didn't want to step with God anymore. Have you ever seen people marching? You can sit down. You ever seen people marching and one guy is picking his nose or something? <laughs> left, 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 right, left, and it's, you know. What do his buddies do? Yeah, we don't have to focus on that. Those of you who were in the military know. They have a self-correcting process. You might look at that guy and say, man, he walks to the beat of a little different drummer. huh?" The whole world is out of step with God. And we were born into it and are a part of it. And worse than that, hear me, saints, propagated it. You ever encourage somebody to do something you know good and well was wrong? In sales, what is good for you might not be good for them, huh? How many times have you been in that situation, salesman? We weren't just born into a corrupted world. You are part of the corruption. Sometimes Christians sound like private school parents. I don't know what's wrong with Johnny. He's just in with a bad crowd. What if Johnny is the bad crowd? How many little Johnnies do there have to be whose mamas all phase in with the bad crowd before we determine that Johnny is the bad crowd? Sometimes Christians sound like that. Well, we were, we, you know, we're just born into a sinful race. Buddy, you were the sinful race. Let's not forget that. How many people have you wronged in your life? Well, I've basically been a good guy all my life. Well, we're going to watch you go to hell then, brother. If you can't be honest enough to say you have caused damage on the earth and need salvation, then salvation is not for you. It amazes me people will sit in front of me for counseling. And they'll tell me they do everything right. Really? Then why are you here? You cannot come to the foot of the cross without seeing a need for the cross in your life. You cannot come to Jesus and say, Oh Lord, what are you going to do for me? If you don't know what you need. You come to the foot of the cross when you have a deep, burning desire to change your life because one nature has defeated the other and you know it. You come to the cross and say, Lord, if you will set this right, if you will help me, if you will empower me, I will forever do for you. Mm-hmm. Where is that message? Where is it being displayed? I don't like the term, we are just sinners. I'm more than a sinner now. That is my heritage. But I have been born again. I've been empowered by God's Holy Spirit. That is not me anymore. That guy is dead. I am now a saint. 
But I cannot stand before you and say I'm a saint and a saint alone. Because I was a sinner. And I contributed to the problem all over the planet. And occasionally, that still pops up in my life and I have to beat it down. Yes. But I'm in conflict with it. And just like a bully that wanted to take my money, I am not going to let the sinful nature win in my life. How's your life going? Now's a great time for an honest assessment. Is the fruit on your tree peace, life, happiness, holiness, a sense that everything's right between you and God? Or is the fruit in your life devastation, broken hearts, lies, deceits? How many things go on in your life that if were written on a sign in your front yard you would be embarrassed of? My spirit will not contend with man forever. For he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. I don't have the time that I would like to teach this in the way that I would like. But I want to tell you that there is a point in which you can struggle against the Spirit. And He will fight with you. And you can fight with Him. And this wrestling match goes on. Where the wrestling match comes to an end. The living God will not contend with you forever. He set a time period of 120 years here for the entire planet. He said, I am wrestling with mankind. I am contending with mankind to try to get a man, two men, three men into right step with me, doing my will. But I will not fight with them forever. In 120 years, God wiped out the entire planet except eight people who would do what He wanted them to do. Where are you in that process? When is the first time you felt the inkling of conviction in your heart? When is the first time that you knew you were struggling with the living God and you felt the compulsion to walk forward, to stand up, to pray, to fall on your knees, to do something that showed you were submitting to God? And how long have you been fighting with it? There is a day coming when our God will not contend with you. You are not guaranteed another day to stiff-arm the Holy Spirit. I found it amazing that in the American church people love Jesus and do not love His Spirit. I cannot love Elvis Presley and not like Elvis Presley's Spirit. I can't love Matthew Pirro but say, you know, who he really is, his Spirit, I don't like very much. What would that mean? Did you know that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus? You cannot be saved and refuse to be filled with the character, personality, power, body of work of Jesus. God said, I will not contend forever. He goes on to say, every inclination of man's heart is wicked all of the time. That word heart in Hebrew is lab. When you take it into Greek, it becomes cardia. When you take it into English, it becomes cardio. Mandy and I do assessments at work. In three minutes, we can tell you whether you are cardiovascularly fit or not. At least for the jobs that we're hiring for. The Holy Ghost does the same kind of assessment. Except it's not your heart beating in your chest. The Word has a much deeper meaning. In the very center of who you are. In your very spirit. How are you doing? When nobody else is around. When the lights are off and nobody else is at home. Is your heart filled with fear because you know that you're not right with God? Do you pacify yourself with lies? 
and doctrines that in your heart you know are not true. Well, I got dunked in water when I was a kid. It's all good. Even though I've lived like hell, I'll make it into heaven. The Word says, Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. I told myself those very same lies and God contended with me. And He won. I encourage you to let Him win with you. Maybe the most encouraging verse is that very last part of the 8th verse. But Noah and all of mankind, God is grieved with what He sees. But Noah found favor. God was willing to provide salvation for anyone who would do what He said. And Noah proved that he believed God by doing what he told him to do. How are you proving that you believe God. You know, Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let me ask you, do you really think it's enough just to utter the words, Jesus is Savior? Do you think maybe you've been lied to by men who simply want your money and your attendance so that they'll feel good about themselves? The truth is you have to do what He tells you to do or you will bust hell wide open. Do you understand me? You will burn. So how could a loving God do that? Well, how many thousand years do you expect Him to be patient? Is that how you act? After 9-11, did you want to be patient with the terrorists? Raise your hand if you'd like to be patient with Al-Qaeda the day after on, on September 12th. Well, that's amazing. There's no hands. And yet, our God is setting up His kingdom upon the earth and people terrorize it by going their own way, contributing to the spirit of disobedience, and we say God should be patient. Do you know how many years that it was, at least from Adam to the cross? 4,000. And how many years has it been from the cross forward? A little over two. How patient. My spirit will not contend with man forever, but I'm not so interested in all of mankind as I'm interested in you personally. How long will you go your own way? What a great question. Turn with me to Genesis 9. You can write down Genesis 9, 25-27. I'm not going to read it to you. And I'm not going to read it to you because I don't feel as if I have the time to teach that in the way that I would like. The good news about being the pastor of a church is I can speak whenever I want to. If you want to learn more about Genesis 9, where do you think you could do that? It's not at the taco stand. The reason you must come to church is to learn what God requires of you. To learn to be a benefit to people around you. To get rid of selfish ways and take up godly ways. And if you're pretty well alright right now, that's okay. We don't want you to take up space in here. The rest of us have got problems we're trying to work through. In Genesis 9, man is described. Now, it's described in this way. There is Noah, who is the father, and then the sons of the father are summed up in three children, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Those three men can be traced to every human being on the planet. Or rather, I should say, every human being on the planet can be traced to those three men. Because the world was wiped out and this is what was left. Those are the fathers of the human race. Ham, Shem, Japheth. And immediately, Noah begins to prophesy over these children. He says, cursed is Ham, the slave to his brothers should he be. Blessed be the God of Shem, 
say, may Shem's tent be enlarged, that Japheth may dwell in his territory. Say, Eric, you're talking nonsense. What does that mean? You are a three-part being, just like mankind is described in three ways there. And the part of you that corresponds to Ham, or Canaan, is your earthly nature. God intended you to be a union of the heavenly and the earthly, but the earthly was subject to the heavenly. Is that the way that you live? Is the priority in your life, heaven comes first. The things of heaven come first. Lord, what is your will? Or is your life backwards? Is the slave ruling the king? Does your flesh tell you when you will and won't go to church? Does your flesh tell you when you will and will not read the word? Does your flesh tell you how long to pray, when to pray, and what to say? Does your flesh tell you how you relate to people, how you love them, what you do? Say, Eric, I don't know what you're talking about. My flesh never speaks to me. Really? Why do they sell Pepto-Bismol? I don't have to sing the commercial to you, do you? Do I? <laughs> the flesh has its own voice and it can be compelling and powerful it can actually entrap you in slavery it can be aided by a demonic spirit of disobedience that actually chokes the life out of you God began to turn mankind upside down and he said no you take that earthly nature the one that is like Cain the one that dishonors the father and you put him at the bottom of the totem pole there is a part of you that was God-breathed, as if He stamped His name upon you, as if His Ruach came right into you and you became something alive. His Spirit brings life. Gabriel Maze is a spirit. This body is going to change, but who God put in him, that spirit was breathed of God. He is a spirit. He lives in a body. His spirit is to enslave his body. When his spirit says, move your hand, his hand should move. When he commands his mind not to think certain thoughts, his mind should obey. The two natures are at war, and someone is going to win. As for this young man, the spirit is going to win. How about you? What does your track record say? There's a third part of mankind that acts as kind of a bridge between the two. It's kind of like the battleground in where everything is fought. God said, you take Japheth, your mind, will, and emotions, your soulless realm, and you bring him into Shem's tent. Who you are is a spirit. This is the part of you that gets born again or renewed. You are to pull your thoughts, your emotions, your very will right into the heavenly spirit. And the two of them are to make your flesh of that. The reason I say that this is a beginning step, this does not save you. To reorder your life as spiritual first, soulless or emotional realm second, flesh realm third. To reorder your life as a beginning, but it does not save you. Man's spirit is also thoroughly corrupt. The very center of who he is is corrupt. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they were kind of spiritual? And then the more you talk to them, they start talking to you about positive energy, positive thoughts. They wanted you to feng shui their office. <laughs> right? 
talking about the positive prayer. They put bumper stickers that says, Life is wonderful. People are terrific. Business is great. Spiritual people. Trying to focus on things that are more spiritual, but still corrupt mm-hmm. and unable to produce life. Mm-hmm. Well, what is it, my friends, if, if we just talk about Jesus more? We don't have His Spirit in us. We don't do the things that He says to do. But in general, there are axioms we could live by. Mm-hmm. You know what it is? It's more spiritual, but still utterly corrupt. Mm-hmm. This is why on the national news we have men who have dishonored the name of Jesus. The desire to prioritize, prioritize your life is a beginning. But if you want to see the kingdom of God, a spiritual rebirth is necessary. Not enough to desire just to reorder. It's necessary, but it's not enough. Something has to happen in the very center of the human being. Turn with me to John 3. I've always found it humorous that these verses are put on banners at sporting events. But then, I said that wrong, didn't I? Have you ever seen verses on a banner at sporting events? What do you see on a banner at sporting events? A single verse. Well, what about John 3.15? What about John 3.17? Boy, there's a nice one. Why is that never on a banner? Exporting events. Can you tell the good news about your life? Anybody in here ever had anything good happen to him? Patricia, have you had anything good happen in your life? Yeah. Could you tell me the good news, the good story about your life in an equal number of words with John 3.16? Probably not, huh? So why do we reduce all of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a banner at a sporting event? For God so loved the world... You know, I I got to where I'm sick of hearing it. And the reason that I'm sick of hearing it is because I do not see it. The same people that quote it are not doing anything to see the world saved. And most of them that are quoting it are not living in a way that shows that they are saved. Maybe we could look at this whole conversation in its context. John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. By the way, do you think Nicodemus was a spiritual person? He could quote all 39 books of the Older Testament. Quote. Quote verbatim. How's that for positive thinking? Spiritual person? You can be spiritual and yet utterly corrupt. A member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Not only is your earthly nature corrupted, the very spirit God put in you bears upon it a stain of sin. When a person becomes born again, it must be a spiritual process. And we're going to read that in a minute. But I want to submit to you today that you can be born again and your spirit renewed, but you have not renewed your mind, will, and emotions. You have not renewed 
your flesh by putting it to death. And you do not yet have the power of God. So let me ask you something. If you stand before God and you have your spirit renewed, praise God, born again, excited, and you stop right there, how do you think you'll fare any different than Adam and Eve did? What makes you any different than Adam and Eve were? How do you sustain what God has done for you? Where is the power to walk in victory over sin? Where is the power to restrain your thoughts? Is it any wonder that the American church is dead when most of it has carved out of it all talk of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus calls power? And then those who do speak about the baptism in the Holy Ghost have so rigidly defined everything that your hair has to be a certain length, your facial hair has to be a certain way, your dress code has to be a certain way. Never mind the fact that the men in the first century did not have any such dress codes. I know, I find no friends when I preach. (laughs) How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus was not talking about the earthly nature. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of spirit. You have to be born in your earthly nature and you also have to be born again in your spiritual nature. Sometimes the churches do a good job about preaching this. You must be born again. But if we stop there, I ask you again, what makes you any different than Adam and Eve? Well, I'm in relationship with God, wasn't Adam? Well, I'm walking with God now, wasn't Adam? What makes you any different? The Gospel does not end at your spirit simply being reborn. He goes on to describe spiritual things and Nicodemus does not understand and Jesus insults him. He calls him snake-bitten in a manner of speaking. But what you hear through this is that the Spirit must give birth to Spirit. And that that process happens by staring into the face of your own sin. He said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man shall be lifted up. We are shy about looking at our own sin. Dakota and I could talk today. We could talk for hours about all the sin in the world. There will be lots of head nodding. Lots of yes, yes, lots of evil in the world, lots of bad things. But when the conversation turns to how about you, what is evil in your life, then the squirming begins. We must root out the sinful nature. The Son of God came to destroy the work of the enemy, not to hide it neatly packaged in so-called Christians sitting on church pews. You ever heard the complaint that there are more hypocrites in church? The sad thing is the complaint is true. What are you going to do about that? John 3.17 goes on to say that this world stands condemned already. What I want to tell you is that you don't have to do anything to die. You are already dying. But to live is going to require you to take definite tangible, discernible, identifiable steps towards God. 
And if those have not happened in your life, you have no chance to live. Salvation was not earned for you in a closet somewhere, and you cannot walk in salvation privately. This is a lie that somebody's grandfather's grandfather's grandfather told them to insulate themselves from the searing conviction of the Holy Ghost. Salvation is not a private matter. It never has been. My king was killed on a public street, lifted up in a public execution for your benefit. How can you participate in that in a private way? Amen. You cannot do it. Having the born-again experience is awesome, and it's essential. But if you are renewed and back in man's intended state, what is to keep you from becoming thoroughly corrupted again? You need not only a renewed spirit, you need power. The miracle of the cross is both redemption and empowering by the baptism in God's Ruach HaKodesh. It is great to get born again. It is the best thing that could ever happen to you. You will not walk in your born again experience very long if you are not empowered by God's Spirit. What makes you different from Adam and Eve? God will put you in a right standing with Him called righteousness. And then along with your spirit that He breathed into you, He will add His Spirit. He will immerse you in His power. So that you have power over sin that Adam never had. This infilling of the Spirit is the power to witness, the power to live out loud. Don't tell me that you're hiding in your house calling yourself a Christian, scared to pray out loud, and yet you've experienced the almighty power of God. I read about the disciples who also experienced salvation. They were at the cross. They touched Jesus' nail-scarred hands. But when it came down to it, they were hiding in the upper room because they had no power. Jesus gave them very strict instructions. Do not leave this city. Don't you go out and represent me to the world until you have been filled with my power. Those instructions are still exactly the same. Discipleship does not stop with quoting John 3.16. The Roman road to salvation is not enough. Let me tell you something. God sends you to Mount Aurelius. I told you this before the service. He sends you there. What makes you any different than any human he could send there to do good things? You must be able to hear his thoughts. You must be able to be empowered by him. So that when the Holy Spirit tells you to turn down a certain road, you do it and God's fruit is born. He speaks, you do. You tune your ears to his command. You set your mind on him. But he is a gentleman. And he does not invade you and take you by force. There is no Holy Spirit... Uh, special service, no green berets. Special ups. He comes by invitation. You must be willing to stand your ground and say, I've been renewed in you, Jesus, and I feel clean now. But I need your leading in me and I will do anything. Even if it's undignified. Even if it gets me thrown out of my house. Amen, Matthew? Amen. Amen, Brad Lively, wherever you are. So many of us that have got thrown out of our house. Even if it means that this religious icon up here who's done a lot of good for the world doesn't agree. There are two natures that are inside of you. 
You must have power to put one to death so that you can live to the other. And that power does not come simply by believing Jesus is who He says He is. You must then turn and exercise that belief by asking, Lord, what was in you? I need it to be in me. That's right. John 1.32. You can turn there. It's one page back. I want to release you right now. If you're very concerned about the time, if your heart is hurting and you're thinking, I just cannot make it if I don't get to that buffet right now, go ahead and leave. You're not going to make it anyway. You can go ahead and leave. Okay? I love you dearly. But if something is beating inside your heart that says, this could be an opportunity for something a little more. If there's a small stirring, then you'd be a fool not to stay. Because what we have is more valuable than gold if it were sitting in your pockets. And many die every day because they don't have it. John 1.32, listen to this verse. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Him. I would not have known Him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had both uncorrupted natures in proper order. He was made of the substance of the earth. He was in a body. And He was made of the substance of heaven. But He also had the fullness of the deity remaining on Him, indwelling Him at all times. Certainly you can say that this is because He was God. But the gift of God is not only regeneration or salvation or renewing. It is also that He will baptize you in His Spirit. It did not stop with simply looking upon Him upon the cross, feeling convicted for sin and asking God to change your life. It moves on to saying, I need what you have in you in me. So, well, Eric, your theology is off. You, you, uh, you, you, you can't get born again unless the Holy Spirit's there. I've read Romans 8, 9 too. But I have watched in the book of Acts every chapter, every chapter, every chapter. The Holy Spirit is there for you to be born again, but you need to have your life immersed in His power, and it only comes by invitation. I'm not telling you something that I just read in a book. I experienced this to my own glory and peril. It got me thrown out of the denomination that I loved. It got me thrown out of the house that I loved. But it included me in a family of believers that I would forsake all to be a member of. And it's provided for everything that I've needed in my life. How loud is your Christianity? How radical is your revolution? How full of God's Spirit are you? You don't have to turn to this one. I want to read it to you. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace to yours in abundance through your knowledge of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that sweet? Grace and peace to you. My daddy beat your daddy in dominoes, right? Grace and peace to you. It doesn't stop there. Listen to this next verse. By His divine power, He has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the evil 
corruption caused by your evil desires, the world's evil desires. Corruption in the world caused by evil desires. When we are born again, He renews your spirit. So what was corrupted in Mandy, God fixes. She's in right standing. But then as she begins to ask God, He starts to pour His character, His spirit, His authority, His power into her. It is no longer just Mandy trying to control her flesh. It is no longer just Mandy trying to keep her soul in a spiritual realm. Now the power of God is present to do that and she becomes fit to take the gospel to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth because Jesus can make His appeal through her. Because Jesus is inside of her. In John 7.37, Jesus said, If any man thirst." Let him come and drink of me. You need to understand that there were people standing there that already believed he was the Messiah. John writes in a note. I encourage you, write it down, read it. It says, by this he meant the Spirit who was not yet poured out because Jesus had not been glorified. So many Christians are stuck saying, I had a born-again experience. I believe Jesus is the Lord. And there is no power in their life because they have not drunk of Him. They simply looked upon Him. John 15, 17, He says, He is with you and shall be in you. In what way is God present in your life? Is He speaking to you from the outside in? Or is He speaking to you from the inside out? What a great question, isn't it? Do you feel like the Lord is an arbitrary third party voice that says, "Don't, please don't do this. Or maybe you should do that. Or do you have a kind of relationship with Him where you feel like He is present with you at all times? And He's speaking to you like a familiar friend. Turn down this street. Tell this one back. Lord, I don't know. He looks kind of upset. Tell him that. And you do, and you watch the fruit of God. What kind of power were you filled with? What a great question. And if you haven't been, the only way to get anything from God is to admit your need. Don't let your pride keep you enslaved. Don't let your pride damn you. Acts 1, 4-8, Jesus said, You cannot leave. Don't leave. Do not go out in My name. Stay right here until you receive power. Acts 2.4 mentions something that I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you. When the Holy Spirit showed up as a violent, hear that? Violent, rushing wind. He was ready to do conflict with the enemy, to contend with the enemy. He was ready to provide the same power that raised Jesus from the grave in believers. Acts 2.4 says, they spoke as the Spirit enabled them. And they were speaking in other tongues. I said, well, Eric, man, that just causes so much division. You're right. It's a conflict. There's always divisions and conflict. Well, Eric, that's been such a contentious issue. Since the moment the Holy Ghost set out, poured out by Jesus to empower believers, He enlisted you in that contention. Why are you hiding from it? I said, but we could build a bigger church and do so much more good. What kind of good? The good that the Mormon church does? The good that the Jehovah's Witness church does? 
How do you say, Lord, I love you, I want you to be Lord of all of my life, I just don't want the manifestations of your presence in my life? It's not possible, saints. It is not possible. I would rather preach to three that wanted everything from God than 3,000 that said, I only want to be three-quarters Christian. Isn't that a great name? Three-quarters Christians. What kind of church is that? Is that full gospel? It most certainly is not. Well, how much is it? Four-fifths? Three-quarters? About half? How much gospel did you take? Where was your comfort level? How comfortable were you with God's mother? Isn't that what we're asking? I'm telling you, I want to be radically revolutionary. I really don't care how embarrassing it is. I found out that the word in Spanish for embarrassed and to impregnate are very similar. Very similar. Found that out. It's a, it's a mistake people make often when they're learning to speak the language. They, they try to say that embarrassed me, and what they say is it impregnated me. And uh, <laughs> as, as humorous as I thought that that was, I found out that if God fills you with His Spirit, it is going to embarrass you at times. That's what makes Him Lord. Are you looking for a Christianity that is safely insulated from all embarrassment? Are you looking for a saving faith in Jesus that requires the minimum from you? If you are, you will find plenty of cultic solutions to that. How funny that they call us a cult. Why? Because we put no limits on what God will do? Oh, you only are part of mainstream body of Christianity if you're lukewarm and dead? Is that how that works? I probably don't need to keep preaching. So I'm going to tell you a couple things. In Acts 8, when Philip was preaching in Samaria, Peter and John showed up, and when they laid their hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, it was powerful enough that people wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. I have seen the guys in the funny hat walk down a line and say, Receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. I didn't see anything I wanted to buy there. (laughs) You can drop a wafer on somebody's tongue, pour alcohol down their throat, if that makes you feel good. But I didn't see anything that I wanted to buy there. How about you? Sixth of the world's population, though, says, I'm saved. I received the Holy Spirit because that strange guy in the weird hat told me I did. But did you receive power? So, well, we Protestants, yay, we're not a part of that. I know. You might even be worse. Might even be worse. We've got to boil down to we're not only do we not have God's power, we also don't have to do anything. Nothing. You just sit on your salvation. I mean, because to do anything would be to add to the cross. What a ridiculous pile of refuse that is. <laughs> And the most popular teacher of the 90s in the denomination I came out of absolutely taught that. That would be adding and working for salvation. I don't know about you, but when I read John 5 and saw that Jesus healed the man who had been that way 38 years on his mat, little blind Bartimaeus, he told him immediately after he healed him, now pick up your mat and start walking. I feel the same way. When God set me right, He told me what to do. I don't do His works because I'm trying to work unto salvation. He saved me and He put me to work. If I don't see you working, I'm going to assume it's because He didn't save you. 
I guess that's why we're in a storefront, huh? In Acts 9.17, Ananias prayed for Saul, who was a believer at the time, and it says Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10.44, every single person in Cornelius' house was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. And maybe the best scripture of all is in Acts 11.15-17, Peter said, Man, when I saw that, who was I to say that they couldn't be included? Because you know what? The Holy Spirit came upon them in the same way that He came upon all of us. But let me ask you, who was all of us? The entire church at Jerusalem. Well, what did Christianity consist of in the day? The church at Jerusalem. There was no church in Ephesus yet. It hadn't been planted. There was no church in Thyatira yet. It hadn't been planted. There was no church in Springfield, Missouri. It hadn't been planted. So what does that sound like to you? The church of the living God in the first century got filled with the Holy Ghost. And one of the manifestations that showed them that was they began speaking in other tongues. But it makes me so uncomfortable, Eric. You can be comfortable and powerless if you want to be. That's already the state of things. It's kind of like John 3.17, condemned already. But if you want to be filled with the first century power of the gospel, it will require you to do something. It will require you to take definite, discernible steps. It will require you to be more than saved in a closet, hiding, lifting a pinky for Jesus. It will require you to be a man or woman of God and say, I have a need. I need to be renewed. I need to be filled with power from on high. And I don't care who knows it because I've lived this way too long. I thought, you know, we'll give an altar call. I even told Matthew, Matthew, get ready. Get ready. And I bet if I pulled at your emotions long enough, I might be able to pull you to the altar. You know what I'm really looking for? And we're looking for the guy that would come back tomorrow. I'm looking for the woman that would come back as many times as it took. Because you recognize a need in your life. If you needed to be healed of cancer, would you want to be healed of cancer safely in your seat? I've watched people buy plane tickets to go around the world. I've watched men who said they were not scared to die spend their life savings in my inheritance trying to prevent themselves from dying. Funny thing how that works. I'm just curious as we close this service. Do you really want from God or do you just want to sit each day going on like the last? There can be no strong altar call. We're going to sing a song to close our service. If you want something from Jesus, come find me. You know how many times people wait till everybody leaves and come say, ah, look, I wanted to come up, I just... If you're a coward... Revelation says you cannot enter the kingdom. If you are a coward, you need God's help. Come find me. Come find Matthew. Trembling, crawling, I don't care which. Don't be a coward. Admit your need before God and then receive His power. How many people in this room have been filled with God's Spirit? Raise your hand. And you speak in other tongues. How about that? 
What would make you think that He will not fill you again? What would make you think that you are the one that He doesn't intend this for? It is a lie. It's a lie I've been contending with almost 17 years now. It's split my very first Bible study and has followed me ever since. Those people are still locked up doing the same things they were 17 years ago. And I'm still seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost. Now stand to your feet. Any song you like, brother, we'll close the service with it. I'm sorry, I feel like you just changed my direction. So. At 16.7, Philippians 1.9, called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Ephesians 1.10 says that Jesus will bring everything in heaven and on earth under one head. You cannot be under His control. You cannot be a member of His team and reject His Spirit being inside of you. Cannot happen. Cannot happen. If God is putting everything under one head, the way to unify the body under it is to be permeated with the very same Spirit. You need as much of His Holy Spirit as He will pour into you. You need that. If you're going to stay in step with Jesus, if you're going to win in your contention with the enemy, you need that. The question is, what are you going to do about it? We're going to sing exactly one song. Then we're going to baptize our friends. Exactly one song. Don't be a coward. Don't do it. The word actually says that God reviles cowards. How about that? Church loves them. And God can't stand them. Let's sing, brother. Is this your blood? It's your blood that makes me whole. It's your love changed my life. Jesus, you paid the price for me. It's your blood that cleansed my heart. It's your Sacrifice of so
Thank you. 
good song. I like it. Him got filled. A bunch of them got filled with Holy Ghost. Let's do a couple of things here, okay? Uh, my brother Dakota is full of power. Come on. All right? Yeah. And he just got a new gift. And uh, that's always a great feeling. And he's uh, been born again. Now he's speaking in other tongues. We need to wrap ourselves around him in fellowship. Elizabeth and Nolan done a good job with that. But that young man's got things to offer this body. Right? We have things to offer him. So I want you all to pray. And before we leave the baptism, one of you guys and I, yeah, I try not to call you out by name because I want you all to hear from God. Uh, one of you guys, here we'll give him a few parameters, under 35 years old and above 20. Right? Right in that, that range. On that side of the room. <laughs> Make it your goal to contact Nolan at least every couple of days and y'all form a relationship. Because this family's helped and they've been like a lifeline. And uh, that's a good thing. But church becomes healthy when we all begin to connect. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then Miss Anna has got a brand new start in Jesus. She's Hallelujah. filled with God's Holy Spirit. Amen. She's whispering out tongues. He's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. And uh, Jesus is becoming her boyfriend and her yeah. husband Amen. and all of those things. So some of you ladies need to wrap around her. Maybe some of you ladies who are right now wrapped around her. Right, right there. And uh, every few days. Look. Where would you be if when you were born again, where would you be if when you were born, there were no ICU nurses, there were no nurses, they just kind of threw you out there, okay? People need, need help, yeah. help them. Our church must become a discipleship church. Yes, sir. I yes. want to tell you this too, don't wait for me to ask you. You're empowered right now to share any good thing that Jesus has done with you. If you're in this service and you felt like it got the best of you, I know what you're asking, Eric, but I wasn't sure about the... I didn't know. I don't know what the protocol is. And I just I feel like you missed your opportunity. The day's not over. I'm going to baptize people and then hang around here. Come see me. Come see me. We don't have to remain timid. That's a nicer word than the other one I was using. God will make you bold. Yes. Peter went from coward to hero in uh, about two seconds flat as the Holy Ghost hit him. I've done the same thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. You want to go baptize some people? Yes. Yes. You still getting baptized? Amen. Dee looks like a different person to me. She got a new haircut, but that's not it. It's that glow. Ever since Peter came here, he's just been alive. That's awesome. Before that, but then too. Anybody else? Abel's getting baptized. Where's Sidney Piro? He's in the children's church. Sidney Piro's getting baptized. If you want to be baptized, don't let anything keep you from doing it. I know it's cold. You might not be dressed for it. It's okay. We'll work it out. Uh, Y'all go assemble out there and we'll, we'll baptize. <coughs> I, I'm going to throw in some shorts. Or at least.